Welcome to the podcast of Ben Kruska, where every Wednesday there's a fresh word of faith and victory for your life. Now, here's Ben Kruska. My message tonight is um, working on your walk. <laughs> Tell somebody, work on your walk. <laughs> and really, my, really what I want to speak about, what I feel to speak about is to avoid certain pitfalls. You know, in 2023, there are certain things that the enemy would love you to fall into, pitfalls, fallkuilen, that he would love for you to fall into, so that, you know, that destiny that God has for your life, you miss it. Uh, but everybody here say, I'm not going to miss it. Say it like you mean it. Okay, tell somebody around, to tell you, I'm not missing it. I don't know what you're going to do, but I ain't missing it. <laughs> Let's turn to uh, 2 Peter 3. We've got a wild bunch here tonight. This is going to be a good night. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1 through 14. We're going to read a little passage. Um, and it's going to speak to our hearts. Second Peter 3, starting in verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which... I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. In the Dutch it says spotters. Spotters, people that mock, people that just make fun, people that scoff at holy things scoffers will come in the last days how many know we're living in the last days how many know that we're living in the last of the last days because peter in the on the day of pentecost he said that it shall come to pass in the last days says god that i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh if 2000 years ago was the last days where the Holy Spirit was poured out, then now we are in the last of the last days, right? We're in the last seconds of this age, the last closing minutes and seconds of this age before the ushering in of the next stage. But he said, in those last days, scoffers, scoffers will come, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Of creation. This is what they're saying, these scoffers. So if you hear people talk like that, it's like, oh, yeah, the even in church, yeah, you know, where people say, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they keep saying, Jesus is coming back soon. I haven't seen anything yet. Then you know you're dealing with a scoffer. We have a whole group of people in Holland that say, oh, Jesus has already come back. You know, we live. No, that's a bunch of nonsense, first of all. Uh, and you know you're dealing with scoffers, people that are deceived. Stay away from those. Where is the promise? Because since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Talking about the days of Noah. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Do you believe in global warming? I believe in excessive global warming. <laughs> not, the same, not the same type of global warming that they believe in in Davos, Switzerland, you know, in the 2030 New World Order agenda. But a global warming that will be so warm that it will melt the whole thing away. 
<laughs> That's the global warming I believe in. So it doesn't matter how much you drive your car and how many cows are farting on the field in Holland. <laughs> this global warming we're talking about is going way beyond that. <laughs> they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the day of perdition of ungodly men. We'll come back to that in a second. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You listening? Can you see the picture of that? It's important that we get a picture of that in our spirit. Because, you know, there has to be something in your spirit in these last days. Where you don't walk around like a casual Christian. Where you don't walk around lightly. You don't tread lightly. You, you know, his, his uh, burden is easy and his yoke is light, of course. Yes, but there has to be a holy awe. There has to be a reverence of the things of God. There has to be a knowing deep inside that there are certain lines you don't cross. There are certain boundaries you don't pass over. There has to be a holy fear and reverence towards our holy God that there are certain things you just don't do. Certain ways you don't go into. Certain lifestyles you just don't jump into. I don't care what they say. It's the 21st century, whatever. No, we live according to the book. Amen. We live as holy men, holy women. And we're not going to miss the mark. We're going to make it to the finish line. Amen. Why? Because we understand there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day coming where ungodly men will be perished forever. There's a day coming where the earth will melt away and the heavens will melt. They'll melt away. Everything you see, everything you can touch, it will all melt away. But those who are unshakable, founded on the rock, Jesus Christ, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We will not melt away. We'll already be out of here. Amen. Amen. But it has a lot to do with our lifestyle. That's why in this, in this, in this day, in this hour, we, can't, we have to avoid certain pitfalls. We've got to make sure we're working on our walk. We've got to make sure that we're living right, walking right, speaking right. Acting right. Occupying till he comes. Hands to the plow. Glorious church. Not in bed with the world. Not, you know, in the gray area. In the gray area, you won't make it in this day and this hour. These are the days of the saints of God. These are the days of the glorious church. These are the days of a shining, bright, holy, pure, glorious church. Full of power. Full of the anointing. Full of the presence of God. Not a church in bed with the world. Not a church that is friends with the world. A world, a church that is shining bright in a dark world. If you're part of that church, let your hallelujah be so loud. Let heaven hear you tonight. Hey. Hallelujah. Let God know that he has an army reserved right here in Amsterdam that is not going to go down when the world goes down, but is going up with him. Hallelujah. Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of person must you and I be, seeing that all these things will be dissolved? 
What kind of persons? Holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Everybody say, I'm just passing through. through. Heaven is my home. home. This earth is not my home. home. I'm, I'm, I'm occupying here till He comes. But I'm waiting and I'm expecting for a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> that was too, too long of a sentence. I, I, that, that was my bad. I apologize. I was like, never mind. <laughs> Somebody just jumped in. A new earth. That one. <laughs> that was my bad. I apologize. <laughs> Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without splot, without splot, without, (laughs) how's your English? Not great. (laughs) Without spot and blameless. I'll read that again (laughs) properly. (laughs) Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Some people dread, oh no, you mean this whole world is going to pass away? Oh no, my beloved, you know, this or that. My beloved uh, possessions, will that all melt away? What about, you know, these? Yes, we look forward to these things, the Bible says. We enjoy the blessings that God gives us while we're here, but we don't get attached to it because we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We look, I, look fo- I don't know about you, but I look forward to my mansion in heaven. The carpenter of Nazareth is building. <laughs> he said, don't let, don't let you, in John 14, he said, don't let your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. In my father's house are many mansions, and I go and prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. God's, God's preparing a place for you. In my father's house, there's a place being prepared for you. That's our permanent home. Amen. Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Everybody say, be diligent. diligent. Work hard, that means. The, The Bible says in Hebrews 4, it says, labor to enter into rest. There's a work that must be done. A work in the Word, a laboring in the Word, a laboring in prayer, a laboring in the presence of God, where where you enter into that rest. But it says, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. When Jesus comes back, when that trumpet sounds, when that eastern sky splits, when He comes down on the clouds and we will be caught up together with Him in those clouds. Number one, are you ready to meet Him? Number two, how will you be found by Him? He said, let us be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. There's a, a, a large group in the church world today, in the Western world, that thinks they're good with God, but their lifestyle is completely opposing the holy standard of God. And they say, oh, grace, grace, grace covers it all. Yes, grace, but there's no grace for unrepented sin. Nathan is saying amen on the front. 
Everybody else got quiet. Nathan said, mm. <laughs> there has to, there's, See, there's the position of righteousness. Where, you, where we are, Christ became sin for us so we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are in position, we are the righteousness of God. But then there's that walk of righteousness. There's a walk of holiness. There's a walk of sanctification where if we find, find you, if you find me three years from now, we should have moved on from where we are today. We should move on deeper in the things of God. We can't stay meddling in the things of this world. We can't stay meddling in certain lifestyles saying, oh, we're born again. We, we're, we love Jesus, but we don't have a lifestyle that lines up with the love of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 verse 21, he said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my commandments. Some people say, I love Jesus, but they go, their lifestyle and their, 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 their choices in life are 100% opposed to the commandments of Christ. And we say, oh, well, this world is just, this word is just old school. It doesn't fit in modern day society anymore. What a bunch of garbage. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is the truth. And his word is forever settled in heaven. There's no different word for the 21st century than there was in the first century. Same word. Same standard. He said, man, I came to some old kind of old, old, old Testament prophet today. No, not at all. No, not at all. But one of our assignments in this world today is by the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit to see the church prepared for eternity. The church prepared for eternity. We prepare you for life on earth and success on earth. But moreover, we must prepare the church for eternity. And many people are not ready for eternity. Because they live their whole life on earth never even thinking about eternity. They live it all for the here and the now. And a lot of people are going to be in a big shock on that big day. But I don't know about you, but you're not going to be in a big shock. Because here, we are ready to, 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 to just say the truth. To prepare the hearts. So that if anything is convicting, anything is pricking, then let, let it prick and let it, let it prune and let it cut away. You know, let the Word of God come divide inside of the Spirit. To divide soul and spirit from each other so that there can be a revelation of hidden things in the heart. So that it can be removed. So we can be a pure and a holy bride ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen. The Bible says, you know, we, we read it here, that there's a coming a day of judgment. And I don't want to talk about judgment today. Because, you know, when you have... Come to Christ. You have passed from death to life. You've passed from judgment into, you know, God's mercy and God's grace and God's goodness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Because we were all deserving of judgment. <laughs> but the chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. Right? It all came on Christ. It all came on Him. But there is coming a day of judgment. And that should put an urgency in our hearts. First of all, for our own lifestyle. That... You know, the grace that we have received, we don't take it lightly. Amen. The Bible talks about people that have fallen from grace. Because they've despised that blood by which they were redeemed. I say, that's not going to be me. That means there has to be a lifestyle of reverence. We can't be casual about our relationship with the Lord. We can't be casual about 
our lifestyle, there has to be a lifestyle of holiness. The lifestyle that is fitting to saints. He said, knowing that these things are coming, what kind, what kind of persons ought we to be? We must be persons that shine bright in a dark world. We shouldn't be as dark as the world. We shouldn't be a little bit more brighter than the world. We should be so far removed from everything that the world is like. I talked about it this morning, but I saw this thing done by a church during Easter in America. And, you know, whatever. But sometimes churches, they want to win the world by becoming like the world. And you know what? That never works. Because before you know it, you, are, you can't see the difference yourself anymore between you and the world. And you've come so far to the world to win the world that the world has actually won you. We, you and me, we're not going to win the world by becoming like the world. We're going to win the world by becoming like Jesus. Jesus didn't have to become like the world to win the world. Jesus was full of glory, full of grace, and full of truth. And he was there, the living Son of God, shining bright in a dark world. And sinners were attracted to him. Darkness doesn't drive out darkness. The light drives out darkness. We must become so full of light. Arise and shine for your light has come. It's time to arise. It's time to shine. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ not to fit in with this world, but to be so different from the world that we shine brightly. That people like blinded by the light coming from the church, from believers. That's our calling. And that's a calling to holiness. That's a calling to be set apart from the world, set apart for God. Consecrated. These hands, these feet, these eyes, these ears, set apart for Him. Living that consecrated life. Number two, not just for our own lifestyle, but also for the people outside. Knowing there's a day of judgment coming, that should put an urgency for us to live right. But number two, it should put an urgency in us that there's coming a day that will be forever too late for people outside. That, the, that Jesus said it, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming quickly in which no man can work. John chapter 9. Jesus had an urgency in his spirit. People today say, oh, you know, bitje rustig, niet te hard werken. No, there's coming a day where it'll be too late. When the door of the ark will be closed forever. And no one can enter in anymore. But the, God said, you know, when people say, oh, you know, where is the promise of his coming? And why is it being delayed? He's not delaying. He's not slack concerning his promise. But he's not willing that any should perish. He wants all men to come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved. He wants to give a little bit more time. He's just sitting there in heaven saying, a little bit more time. A little bit more time. The angel is standing with the trumpet to his mouth, but the father is saying, a little bit more time. Because there's still people that have never heard. There's still people that, that, that should get the chance. There's still people that are just this close to that step to come into the kingdom of God. The Father's heart beats for those lost people. 
And you and I, we must have an urgency in our spirit that has that same heartbeat of God that says, Oh, Father, give us a little bit more time. Give us another hour of daylight. Give us a little bit extra time, Lord. Give us a little bit more, another moment of grace, another wave of the glory of God over the nations of this world to see the mighty harvest come in. An urgency in our spirits. You can ask the Lord, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Burn it in my heart. That I don't live casually in my days here on earth. But that I live burning bright. Shining bright. Drawing people out of darkness into light. He said mockers will come. Scoffers will come in these last days. It's people that have this. That's actually people inside the church. Because it's talking about people that, that say, where is the promise of His coming? That's not talking about unbelievers. It's talking about believers. Oh, where is the promise of coming? Uh, I can just live whatever way. They, they have this, this light walk. They have this casual Christianity. They have this like, I love Jesus, but a totally worldly lifestyle. Scoffers. That's not going to be you and me. I want to read you these verses from Philippians chapter 2. Two verses in the Amplified. In uh, Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll discuss a few pitfalls to avoid. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12 and 13 in the Amplified. If we can have that on the screen too, that will help read along. Okay. Where's the top? <laughs> I have it here. It says, Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent. Do we have that? Yes. Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling. Let's pause there. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In het Nederlands staat er, werk aan uw eigen zaligheid. Met vrees en beven. Work out your own salvation. Can you add to what Jesus did on the cross? No. But you can walk in the finished work of the cross. By lining up your life. Jesus said, he said, narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. So what is this talking about? It's talking about walking on that road. That you come to the cross and you die there. But then after that you pick up your own cross and you live like a disciple. You hearing me tonight? He says, work out your own salvation. With fear and trouble. Here in the Amplified it says, cultivate. That means like when you have a garden or whatever and you, you're growing, let's say, tomatoes. Then you're cultivating that plant until it starts bearing fruit. That's what this is saying. That work out your salvation, your own salvation. Cultivate it. Work on it. Labor in the word. Labor in prayer. Walk that right walk. Speak the right things. Spend time in God's presence till you start seeing fruit come. 
And when the fruit comes, work on it some more till it's more fruit. And then when you see more fruit, keep working on it to see, till you see. Jesus said in John 15, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. It means being living vitally united to the vine. Living in relationship with Jesus Christ. Not living casually in and out, only calling Jesus when you need help and you're in trouble. But living daily in relationship with Him. A daily fellowship, a daily union, a daily love walk, love relationship, intimacy with Christ, intimacy with the Word, where you draw life from the Word, let the sap of the Word, the life of the Word come through you and run through your veins. So there's life produced every day. Work out, cultivate, produce fruit in your own salvation. And then... It says, with fear and trembling. And watch what the Amplified says. It says, work out your own salvation. It doesn't say, you know, we have joy and gladness. But it doesn't say, work out your own salvation with joy and gladness, which is a great part of that. <laughs> but it talks about fear and trembling. Why does it say fear and trembling? Fear and trembling. This is not talking about a Friday the 13th Chucky fear. You know, <laughs> horror movie fear. <laughs> What is this talking about? This is talking about an awe, a reverence, a, a, a respect for God. Like, like He's my loving Father. He is my, I can't even say it. Some people Daddy God. <laughs> Abba Father, right? He's our Father. But at the same time, He's the judge of the world. Like I, as a kid growing up, I know my Father loves me. Right? But I know also there's certain things I just couldn't do. <laughs> he would always threaten, if you do that, I'm going to sit on you. And my dad weighed a lot. <laughs> he was going to sit on you. And there was a certain fear, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not going to cross certain lines because I know I'm going to get the, 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 the wrath of my father. I know he loves me. But there's certain things I can do that, that crosses a line. I'm not going to talk to my mom a certain way because then I get the wrath of dad. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not going to go do this or do that because I know my dad doesn't agree. There was that like, I know he loves me, but at the same time, there's a fear of trembling. That's the same with our heavenly father. You can come to him for cuddles. <laughs> but he's also the judge of the world. And he's not going to judge you and me. But he is... Watching over our life. And we do give an account for our life. So he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And look what it says in the Amplified here. That fear and trembling. It says, with self-distrust. But watch this. With serious caution. He didn't say, caution. You know what that means? It means, pas op, let op. Serious caution. It's like when you're crossing certain big intersections. And the, the stoplights aren't working. The orange light is flashing. You proceed with caution, right? You don't just go without looking. You cross the intersection. You just like, don't look left, don't look right. You just go. No, you proceed with caution because you know you could get hit by a truck. Well, you, in our life, there's certain crossroads. There's certain things that while we were here on this world, you can't just like. There's certain situations you have to approach with serious caution there's certain pitfalls to avoid 
falling into that many stronger people than you have fallen into. The Bible says it. If any man stands, let him take heed lest he falls. It's not so much I've seen a lot of people start strong. But it's not just how you start. It's even more how you finish. Right? Say, I'm going to finish strong. Say it, with, say it like you believe it. I'm going to finish strong. Hallelujah. I'm going to finish my race. Say it out loud. Hey, I'm going to hear well done. Amen. So proceed with serious caution. And then it says, tenderness of conscience. Tenderness of conscience. That's a, a zacht geweten. Thick skin, soft heart. Thick skin for what people can do. Because in this world you will have trouble. In this world you get ample opportunity to get offended. To get hurt. Thick skin. But a soft heart. A tender conscience. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sensitive to the Word. That when He's speaking from His Word, it. You're moldable. You're shapeable. You're not like the mule, like Psalm 32 says. He says, I, I lead you with my eye upon you, so don't be like the mule that needs a bit and a bridle to be steered in the right direction. Be soft-hearted. Be steerable. Be teachable. Be correctable. Keep your heart soft. How do you keep your heart soft? You keep your heart soft by soaking it in the water of the Word. You keep your heart soft by spending time in His presence, worshiping Him. Tenderness of conscience. And then it says, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and whatever might discredit the name of Christ. There are certain things that you as a holy person, as a righteous person, you have to timidly shrink from. There are certain situations you shouldn't be in. There's certain, there's certain places you shouldn't visit. There's certain things you shouldn't be thinking about. There's certain people you shouldn't visit with. Timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and whatever might discredit the name of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 22, it says, Avoid the appearance of evil. If it looks evil, if it has the appearance of evil, have nothing to do with it. Walking in a way that you're like, I don't want to offend God in anything. I don't want to discredit the name of Christ in anything. I want to honor God. And I want my life to honor God. I want my lifestyle and my choices to honor God. What are these pitfalls? I'll give you four, yeah? You good? Number one, the temptation of sin. What pitfalls you must avoid in 2023 to walk worthy of the Lord? The temptation of sin, number one. Of course, that's a very obvious one. 
But 1 Peter 1 verse 15 and 16. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. Be holy in all your conduct. I know you don't hear a lot of messages on holiness anymore. But in a few weeks we're celebrating Pentecost. And who was poured out on the day of Pentecost? Who? The Holy Spirit. You know that many Christian songs these days, they don't talk about Holy Spirit anymore. They say just Spirit. Spirit lead me where my... No, Holy Spirit. What Spirit are you asking? (laughs) Just make it clear though, you know. He's the Holy Spirit. And He comes to live inside of us. And He works and He produces that life of holiness. God's holiness, God's nature, God's character. He produces it in you and me. Later in these verses in Philippians 2, it talks about that He works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit comes to do that work where we don't just want to live holy, but where we Living holy because he's working both the willing and the doing for his good pleasure on the inside of us. But you can't say you got the Holy Spirit and you still want to live in this world. In worldly things, carnal things. No, there has to be, he will come and burn with his fire on the inside of you. And he'll burn out the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He will burn out all the desires for the old. And he will burn in a desire to live for God, to live on the highway of holiness. He's the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you in the highway of holiness. Many, many of us probably have heard this story already, but I'm going to share it again just for illustration's sake. There was this hiker at one time, this, they made a movie about this guy as well. But he started hiking in the like Arizona type of landscape with a bunch of rocks and stuff like that. And he was rock climbing and things like that. And as he was a few days out, he, was, he went there for you know, a long hike. A rock falls over and lands on his arm. A big old rock lands on his arm and it just completely crushes his arm. But he's stuck on that rock. Have you heard this story before? Who hasn't? Okay, for you I'll share it, okay? (laughs) About half-half, 50-50. So he's got this huge rock on his arm and there's no way out. He's tried with all of his might to get this rock off. He can't move it, not even a millimeter. So he's there, his arm, everything hurts, of course. But he's there trying to get that rock off. It's not coming off. And now several days have gone by and he's run out of water. He has no water left. And he's stuck under that rock. And he knows that if if he doesn't get out from that rock very, very fast, he's going to die just from, you know, drying out from the heat, from the sun. No water. He's going to die. So he has a choice to make. He's got his little hiking knife with him. Either the arm goes or I go. <laughs> I know this is a tough story, but some people just fainted. <laughs> so he's, he actually is like, 
passing out a little bit. And he sees this picture of him walking hand in hand with a little boy. And he knew it was his son. And he, he didn't have a son yet. And he's like, this put in him such a desire to live. He said, I'm going to live. And I'm going to have a son. I'm going to be a father. And he takes that knife and he starts cutting away. And then when he comes to the last muscle or whatever it was, and he just cuts it through, he passes out. When he wakes up, he's free. Of course, no arm, but he's free to move. And he starts walking. And as he is walking out, you know, there's been search teams, search and rescue teams out looking for him for days. But they find him, and he's rescued. And later, you know, he tells the story. They make a movie about it. He has his son, and he sees that dream fulfilled. What does that have to do with you and me? You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, let sin, sin will no longer have dominion over you. But some people, they let sin rule over them. The thing is, you have to cut sin off before sin cuts you off. Some people play around with it like Samson did. Samson was from his birth, he was called to be a Nazarite. He was not allowed to touch anything from the grapes and he was not allowed to shave his head. What does Samson do when he gets in trouble? Before he gets in trouble. Where does Samson get in trouble? He goes to the valley of good grapes. Literally. Samson goes on a hike to the valley of good grapes. Hangs around there for an extended period of time. And finds a Philistine woman there that totally brings him on the wrong path for his life. He walks around with a broken heart. All, this, all, the, all those lives that ultimately end him up with Delilah. Trying to fill that voice. But where did it all start? It all started in the valley of good grapes. Here's a man that is not allowed to touch grapes. But he somehow finds himself in the valley of good grapes. What is he doing there? He's playing around with sin. You see later with Delilah. Where he's playing around with Delilah. She says, okay, what is your secret of your strength? And he gives her all kinds of things. He plays with it. He thinks he can't lose that anointing. He thinks he can't lose that power. He thinks he can't lose. He thinks he's untouchable. Any man that when he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. He was playing around with it and then one day he lost it all. His eyes were poked out and he's doing a donkey's work. That's not going to be you. But let this message, and I know, I know this is not for all, because most living right, most are on fire and all these different things. But for some, let this be a holy fire and a holy fear on the inside of you. I'm not going to mess around with the things of sin. I'm not going to let sin rule over me. And today, I'm cutting it off. I'm not waiting another day. I, if I wait another day, I might not make it. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to kill it before it kills me. Today, I stand in the victory that Christ has won for me. And I'm going to stand in that place where I'm, the, where I'm the conqueror, more than a conqueror. And sin is under my feet. I'm not going to come into temptation. I'm not going to get ruled over by the temptation of sin. I'm going to dominate over it in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's no temptation that will overtake you that is stronger than you. Because with the temptation, there's already a way of escape. So whatever is knocking on your door trying to take you out, you say no in the name of Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror. And just lift up your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And the devil will start running when he hears those tongues. Amen. Just start shouting, Jesus! When the devil hears that name, he starts running. What did Jesus do when the devil came to tempt him? 
Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. He defeated that enemy with the word of his mouth. And that same word, that same sword has been given to you. And you can operate in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. No lifestyle of sin. Not giving in to the temptation of sin. Cutting it off. Number two, is uh, another pitfall, is friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. James 4 verse 4. That's what I was talking about earlier with churches that want to fit in with the world to win the world. But before you know it, they become worldly. We are nothing like this world. You are not worldly. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are different than this world. We are set apart. We are sanctified. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. We are clothed with the garments of righteousness. We are holy. We are made wisdom unto God. Righteousness and sanctification unto God. We are set apart. We are children of God. They are children of the enemy. We are different. In James 4 verse 4, he tells the people in the church, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Fijanschap met God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, the enemy understands that if he can't keep you out of church, it's like, oh man, they're going to go to church on Sunday. But maybe I can make them ineffective in their church life by making them love the world. And what happens? Then your, your love is divided. It's like a woman with a husband. No husband wants a woman that's for him some days and for someone else other days. <laughs> Nobody wants that. You're going to walk away from that. You say, okay, you pick. You chose that guy, then go for that guy. Bye-bye. I don't have time for that. But God too. He, Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and me to purchase a bride. To redeem us out of the, wor out of the world so we would be his holy people set apart, special for him. So we have to make up our mind. Where do we belong? If we want to fit into the world, then go the world's way. But if we want to fit in the kingdom, go all the way. Everybody say, I'm going all the way. I'm going all the way. I talked about Samson, but I, let, let's also talk about Solomon. Solomon. Solomon in 1 Kings 3 verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord and gave a thousand burnt offerings. That's how he started his kingship. He loved the Lord. He was radical for the Lord. He was humble. He said, Lord, I can't be king over these people. You need to help me. I need your wisdom. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for fortune. And God said, man, because you asked for wisdom to rule my people well, I'm going to give you wisdom like no one has ever had. But I'm also, because you didn't ask for gold and silver all these other, and the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you all those things in abundance as well. Those were the gifts from God. But then something happened with Solomon during his reign, while he was going well for a while. But then, 
Later in 1 Kings, it says, in 1 Kings 3, it says, and Solomon loved the Lord, Lord. But later it says, and Solomon loved many foreign women. And they drew his heart away from the Lord after their own gods. And God had spoken to him several, on several occasions. And he had told him and he had told the people of Israel, don't intermarry with those other people. Don't intermarry with those people from foreign nations because they're going to draw your heart away after other gods. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. He loved the Lord, but then he started finding interest in this one woman. And then he gave his heart to that woman. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. And all of them, they were all not serving the Lord. They are all going after other gods. And what happened? They drew his heart away. You, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, guard your own heart. Above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. You have to be careful what you open your heart to. You have to guard your heart. We have our first love, and that's Christ. Number three. Actually, let's talk about Lot too. Lot did the same thing. You know, Abraham's nephew. Abraham and him, they were so blessed. You know, there was not enough room in the land for all their livestock. So then Abraham tells Lot, he says, okay, just pick out what land you want to be in. And I'll, pick, I'll go the other way. And Lot, you know, he should have let the... His elder, Abraham, should have let him pick first, but Lot picked first. That already showed his lack of character. But Lot looks and he sees the plains of Sodom, and he's gonna go, he says, I'm going to go there. And he first pitches his tent outside of Sodom, but later when we find him again, he lives in the middle of Sodom. And Sodom was well known for a city full of filth, a city full of sin, a city that was an abomination to God. And God was ready to judge that city. And Lot was living right in the midst of it. See, we also, we're living in the world, but we're not of the world. But we can't be so caught up with the things of the world that when God comes to visit, we have a hard time leaving. That's what happened with Lot. He was so involved in Sodom, him and his family, that when the angels came to his house and said, Come out of this city, come out, we're about to destroy the city. Lot waited and waited and waited and hazled and trezled and prospered procrastinated until the angels grabbed them by their ears and said, get out. Drag them out. They had to be dragged out. I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes back to take us home, I'm not going to be like, I'd rather really stay here. I'm really attached here. I really love my little building. I want to hang on to my car. Let me, let me just drive it one more time on the Atin in the Fila. <laughs> no, I don't care where I am. Even if I'm on the toilet, I'm going straight up <laughs> with a newspaper in hand. <laughs> but Lot had to be dragged out. He's hanging around there, like stuck in there. He had his affection divided. He's getting too settled there. 
It's important to remember we're just passing through this world. This is not our home. This is not our final destination. We're passing through on a mission. Number three, another pitfall. And this might be the biggest one of all for the church. Well, these last two, probably the biggest ones for the church. This third one is the snare of offense. The snare of offense. Anstot. Church hurt. Who's ever heard that term? Church hurt. Die lach van Dylan. There's so many people with great destiny, even with anointings, with great callings, that are on the sideline licking their wounds because their church hurt. They're offended. Missing out on the great call that God has for them. Jesus said, offenses will come. Offenses will come. In other, th- in other words, there's nothing special about you. Everyone gets lots of opportunities. I've passed up marvelous opportunities to get offended. <laughs> <laughs> golden opportunities. I could have been offended for life and nobody would have blamed me. Everybody would have been like, yeah, you, des- you, des- you deserve to be in a pity party. You know, like, oh, poor you. Poor, terrible situation, you. <laughs> Marvelous opportunities to be offended. David had spears thrown at him. I've had bullets flying. <laughs> <laughs> And probably if we do an interview session here with everyone, even if we just go to the front row, everybody will be so depressed. <laughs> just going like this front, hearing the stories of the opportunities that we've had to be offended. Everyone gets opportunities to be hurt, to be offended. Everyone gets opportunities to, to get like, oh, that, that shouldn't happen. That, that's wrong. I'm so hurt. Yes. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. People have this picture of this perfect church. <laughs> Little angels. <laughs> Jesus himself is the pastor, you know. Nothing ever goes wrong. The thing is, if you read the Gospels, even people got even offended with Jesus. Some people in church today, they would get offended if Jesus was the pastor. If Jesus was the pastor and Gabriel was the head usher. And the archangel Michael was the welcome team director. The Apostle Paul was teaching basics class. And David, King David himself, was playing the harp on Sundays, leading worship. (laughs) If you get that dream team in church, still some people will say, he played that tune wrong. Did you notice? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is our shepherd. What about me? Michael stood by the door and he welcomed everybody, but he only didn't shake my hand. He didn't even see me. It's like he looked right through me. 
Jesus preached the message on if you don't eat my flesh and if you don't eat, drink my blood, you have no part in me. What am I, a chopped liver? You say that I have to take communion to be a part of this church? I'm not going to be a part of this church. The thing of it is, is actually Jesus had tons of people get offended. Even to the point that he looked at his 12 disciples and he said, are you leaving too? I'm still wanting to do that one Sunday. <laughs> Look at the ministry team. Are you out of here as well? <laughs> and they'll just laugh. You know? <laughs> They're just laughing. <laughs> Jesus actually had it where Judas, one of the twelve, got offended. Well, if Jesus was the leader, then everything would go right. Jesus was the leader. And everything went right according to plan, but Judas still got offended. You know what he got offended about? An offering. Jesus took a radical offering, an alabaster box. It was worth a, a, a one year's worth of wages. In other words, let's say maybe 30, 40, 50,000 euros. And she just poured it out on Jesus. And Judas said, I'm offended. I'm leaving this church. Guess what? I'm going to start a website <laughs> and a YouTube channel. I'm going to tell all my religious friends how wrong this thing is. You know what's so, what's so ridiculous about offense? Judas is such a wonderful example of the ridiculousness of offense. He gets offended over an offering from the alabaster box from that woman that had been forgiven much, so she loved much. So she pours it all out for Jesus, right? He gets offended over that and he said, shouldn't have this been sold and given to the poor? Not that he cared for the poor, the Bible says, but he cared about his own pockets because he would steal from the money box and put it in his own pocket. So he acted all religious and said, I'm offended that this wasn't given to the poor. Meanwhile, his heart was totally hypocrite. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about himself. So he put a religious sauce on it. But meanwhile, his own heart was exposed. So he says, you know, he gets offended about that, about her offering. Then he turns around, goes to the Pharisees and says, I want to betray Jesus. What will you pay me? So he gets offended about somebody else's offering money, too much money. But then he turns around and he says, I want money. How crooked is offense? People say, well, this person did this, or this person did that, and, and or my home group leader did this, or my dream team leader did that, or that church did this, or that church did that. And they walk around with that all their life, hurt, and they go from place to place to place, trying to dump their garbage somewhere else, meanwhile never coming to the place where they forgive and where they extend grace. And the thing is, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, your father in heaven won't forgive you. That's why offense is such, it's such a deception from the devil. It's such, a, it's such a trap that when you get trapped in it, it's very hard to get out. The only way out is forgiveness. The only way out is grace. The same thing that got you out of sin and the trap of sin where you received grace is the same thing that gets you out of that trap of offense where you release grace and you extend mercy. But many people are not willing to do that because they say, well, they deserve judgment. Well, guess what you deserve? That's the thing. When we really want, you know, things to be right and just and fair, guess what? God can be just and fair with you too. The thing with us is, with people, is we all want others to have grace on us. 
and we want others to judge us according to our intentions. When you do something wrong, you say, well, I didn't mean to. But when somebody else does something wrong to you, you don't want to hear, I didn't mean to. You say, well, I was hurt. I don't care what you mean. You didn't. You did that. So we judge others according to their actions, but ourselves according to our intentions. That's a dual standard. That's a double standard. That's wrong. So what, what, what do we have to do? We have to avoid. We have to understand that this is a, a trap that the enemy has dug for every person under the sound of my voice, for every person in the church that has a destiny, for every person that has a calling, for every person that's going to do big things. The enemy will dig a ditch and hope you fall in it. But you can see that ditch and say, I'm going to step right over it. I'm going to step right by it. I'm not going to fall in that ditch. I'm not going to get offended. I'm unoffendable. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to stay in joy. I'm going to stay in love. I'm going to stay in peace. I'm going to shout hallelujah. And I'm going to love everybody. I'm just going to love everybody. Well, what if you get hurt after you love people? You're going to keep loving people. Amen. Because it's a commandment. Well, what if they treat you wrong? Then I'm going to treat them right. Because instead of paying back evil with evil, I'm going to pay evil with good. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to heap fiery coals on their head. Hallelujah. Some people love to fight for their own right. I'm going to fight for my own right to party. <laughs> Stop fighting for your own right. Let God fight your battles. Let God defend you. Let God vindicate you. And don't sit there and pray, Lord, I pray you strike them with lightning. <laughs> revenge, Lord, revenge. <laughs> I've been tempted. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Just take my word. I've been very tempted. <laughs> Lord, let their armpits be infested with the fleas of a thousand camels. <laughs> <laughs> All ten plagues of Egypt. <laughs> but thank God we're born again. Amen. <laughs> say, I'm undefendable. I'm undefendable. <laughs> say, say it like you mean it, please. I'm unoffendable. You have to see it where it comes from. You have to understand where it comes from. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. If you can't keep you out of church, then let it, what would you do if you were your enemy? I can't keep that person out of church. I can't keep them serving. I can't keep them giving. I can't stop them from worshiping. What am I going to do? I'm going to be in that place where they're all the time. I'm going to send somebody to just like hurt them a little bit. So that they back off. So that they stop, you know, worshiping, stop giving, stop serving, stop winning souls. Jesus said offenses will come. It's up to you what you do with it. David, when he got spears thrown at him, what did he do? He just dodged it. And he just kept moving forward. Pastor Rodney would always tell me, he said, water off a duck's back. Let the water just run off of you, like a, off, a, off a duck's back, you know? A, a duck, it just runs right off. It's just dry. 
That's how the, the, the things that could hurt you, the things that could, you know, stick to you. So many people walk around with this, like, thing that is stuck to them. Of something that happened to them one day. A year ago, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And just clings to them. Like barnacles on a ship. But what you don't know is actually eating away. Eating away at you. Eating away at your destiny. Eating away at your future. Eating away on the grace of God on your life. Can't have it. Can't tolerate it. Have to have your heart clear. Tenderness of conscience. Do you remember? We talked about that. Soft heart. Thick skin. Soft heart. Not going to be trapped. Just lift your hands for a moment. There are people here that you've been hurt. Things have happened to you. In church, outside of church, doesn't matter. Things have happened to you. And it has, it has trapped you. You were going sky high with the Lord. But then something happened and it just blocked your growth. It just pushed you down. And ever since then, you're stuck there. And for years, you've been going around the mountain. But tonight, God brought you in this place to set you free once and for all. And the way to your freedom is by forgiveness. You can have a thousand people lay hands on you. But that's not where your freedom is. Your freedom is by where you release and you let go and you forgive. And you say, Lord, I forgive them. And Lord, I forget. I can forgive, but I will never forget. No, you have to forgive and forget. That's where freedom is. So just right here in the presence of God, just do that right now. You say, how can I forgive this person? Do you know what they've done to me? Yeah, but I also know what Jesus has done for you. And you didn't deserve that forgiveness that God gave. But still Jesus paid that price to forgive you. So today, just think on Jesus, how much he forgave you. And extend that same grace that you've received. Freely you've received. Freely give. Freely give. Thanks for listening to today's message. To be notified of new episodes, just hit the subscribe button. And to connect with Ben on social media, you can find him at Ben Kruska on Instagram and Facebook.